everyone, welcome back to the Truck and Driver podcast. I'm Dougie Rankin and I'm joined today by... Matt Island. First time in 2022. How are we doing, alright? Yeah, so, I'm alright mate, how are you? Uh, good thanks, I've been um, really disorganised in things with getting podcasts together uh, this year, but it's easing, it's easing off now and um, I'm glad to be getting everybody back on again, including your good self, because this is we've had, we've had about three or four attempts to go and get this this organised going back to pretty, not long into January, so glad that we finally managed to line this up on a sunny, cold Saturday morning, the day after Storm Eunice has yes. gone and ripped its way across the UK. Uh, did you get affected by it at all? Yeah, if I, as I sit here now and I look to my left, I can see two fence panels currently laying across my garden, um, which have had it, and the third one is, the third one will need replacing. Um, I was actually out on a tipper yesterday, which wasn't the sort of best vehicle in the world to be in, but luckily for me, I was tipping onto a pit and I was kind of sheltered, so it did get a little bit breezy, <laughs> to mm. put it mildly, but but I was quite lucky. I got, you know, I wasn't too badly affected, but I've certainly seen some of the photos and footage of other trucks that weren't quite so lucky, like on the Medway Bridge and yeah, like there, were, there were quite a few that were over. Um, yeah, I've, I was out driving the last couple of days as well. I've got the Scania's R540 uh, demonstrator at the moment, and I was I'd started on Thursday night when the the weather was pretty gusty. I think that was Storm Dudley that called it as, a, and then Eunice was coming in the day, the day after, and it looks like yeah, a fair amount of carnage, quite a few lorries over on their side. Um, I mm-hmm. I seem to miss pretty much all of it. I had started well, it was windy coming down the road. I was weighted at forty four tons coming down and I had three drops around the Preston area and then one at Evesham where I finished up and got my reload and I never had any problem with the, with the wind affecting the truck which was good when I came back up the road I seemed to out, I seemed to get out the road of it before it really came in because I left Evesham at three o'clock in the morning and I was up um, tipping Bathgate in midday and I was finished by two o'clock in the afternoon and there wasn't really any snow on the ground at that point and it was gusty, but it wasn't too bad. But the, you see, the, the roof's been ripped off the Millennium Dome and there was trees falling down really bad in Cornwall and everything. And, and uh, somebody had mentioned, a chap, Alan on Twitter had mentioned, don't know what you think about this, because I happen to agree with him. I think it's bizarre that there isn't... Um, Anything, there isn't provision put in place to stop HGV movements in the event of a red weather warning, whereby there should be a ban on HGVs going out during a certain period of time, which I think is fair enough. Um, I think that that should definitely be a thing. In this era of bizarre health and safety rules, uh, which a lot of time make no sense whatsoever, that we should stop trucks getting blown over onto their side and put in dangerous situations during extreme weather. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I kind of agree, especially in this country where we've got these stupidly tall double deckers and things like that. I mean, I I don't know whether people are actually running them yesterday or not. I mean, God, if they were, I feel sorry for them. But, um, the, the, I, but the funny thing you'll find about decker, and I don't know if anybody else agrees with this, when I was running a lot of deckers at Drummond's uh, on night trunking, a decker was less badly affected by high winds than a conventional straight frame curtain cider. Uh, although it's like a bigger surface area on the side of it, I, the only explanation I can find is that because it sits lower to the road with the little wheels on it, that the wind can't get under it as much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, the worst times I've had with wind are with normal curtain siders as opposed to a, a decker. Um, none of them, I mean, they're not fun, but don't get me wrong. But um, I, I wonder if anybody else would agree with that, that a decker's not as bad as you might think. Um, but what, what you find is... That I think hauliers are nobody wants to flinch if one haulier in a pallet network or whatever says we're not sending our trucks out tonight because the weather's too bad, then they're potentially going to get fined. They're going to have all sorts of problems by not yeah. managing to make next day deliveries and all that sort of stuff. So the temptation is there to chance it. Nobody wants to blink and say, nah, I'm bringing my guys in. Mm-hmm. So I think there needs to be that. Um, there needs to be something put in place from the government. Of course, the government don't know the first thing about 
any of this about how trucks are affected badly by wind. Just to say there's a red weather warning, nobody is allowed to move, which means that nobody is potentially going to lose money or be affected by loss of by not meeting the terms of contracts or things. And everybody says stay. If everybody has to park up for nine hours, so be it. And this don't like using the cliche in this day and age, but all these people sit cosy at home in their offices and things and they don't have to worry about what trucks have to go and face up to when they're going out because there are a lot of nights when you're thinking when you're picking the thing up and you're going like you're hoping that it's going to be heavy you know mm-hmm. but uh, you hope that I've got some weight on so I don't get blown over and if you think about that in 2022 what a ludicrous situation to be in isn't it, it yeah that's true be, there should be health and safety provisions to prevent trucks driving in red weather warnings. Because it's getting we get more and more of these now every year. It seems to get we're getting to January and February and it's these constant high bloody winds all the time. And it's really it's relentless. I've got a fence blown over in the back garden as well, which I'm not gonna replace because it doesn't really do anything. But it's mm-hmm. just every year stuff gets blown over now yeah and it, a few years back I don't think it was like that. We seem to be in a phase of um, high winds. Yeah, I think yeah. And it's a, it's a, uh, extreme weather events like that. So I'd love to hear the what prob- anybody thinks about that. The biggest problem is Joe Public are so used to next day everything yes, that, that's a- that that David in Birmingham is going to be absolutely raging that his six pack of highlighters that he absolutely desperately needs the next day mm. haven't turned up because it's windy outside and he and he's going to be moaning that his Amazon delivery hasn't arrived because of it. So the public need to be educated obviously obviously as we as we know um so but i i think that's right realistically and if you just park everybody up then you're not gonna have trucks toppling over are you it's simple as that they're not they're not going to fall over off bridges Mm -hmm. i mean they closed the orwell bridge at ipswich from five o'clock yesterday morning um because they knew the weather was coming in which made ipswich a pain in the backside during rush hour but i think a lot of people generally took heed of the warning mm-hmm. and generally generally stayed at home it was, it was quieter than what it should have been yesterday when i went back because i did i ran two loads of sawyer from ipswich docks up to burston just the other side of dis uh in the tipper and um it, it was gridlock going in um luckily i i beat that because i got in early uh, so i was just trying to get out and the, the one-way system around ipswich at the moment has got a building with um, scaffolding on, so it's down to one lane. It has been for ages, so that doesn't help. Uh, but when I when I went out over Stoke Bridge, which is an Ipswich sort of just near nearish the town centre, all the way out, almost to where the A14 is, it was just one solid queue. But when I went back, it had eased off a heck of a lot. Um, and I mean, it was it, 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 the start of the morning. You're just thinking, why have they shut the bridge? It's not that bad. But then. Mm-hmm give it a couple of hours and it really had picked up and it would have been pretty damn bad on there. But I don't know why they close it to cars. That's what I don't get. They could, cars could go over because they, they are sheltered on there. They're not going to flip over. So you can at least, mm. at least get the cars going and just send the trucks through town. So it would, it would help a little bit, but there mm. we go. I, 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 I heard the QE2 bridge was shut, which it must've been. I, I can't imagine it was open, um, but the Medway bridge as well. I mean, that's really high and exposed and that's where it was, um, Spanish fridge had gone over, which mm. um, that fridge it, had gone over. Fridge, you, you, know, yeah. you, know that, you know that the wind's high if you're sending a fridge over as, as well. You know that they, they should be. They, that's not. It's usually always curtain siders you see blown yes. over on the other side. Yeah. So I mean that that must have been. And I'm being, being which company it was. I'm pretty certain it would have been two Romanians double manned So I dare say Ouch. that was terrifying for them. Well, oh, I would it, imagine so because there's every chance there would have been one um, in the bunk at the time. Yes. Yes, you know, I know it's not allowed, but it's a simple thing to do. Yep, when yep. you're double-minded, everybody always, does it. I've always done it, and it, it's just crazy to think, no, I've got to sit in that seat and try and sleep when there's a perfectly good bed to lay on. It's just absolutely preposterous. But there we go. It's. Uh, I tell you, right, on, on double-man trunking operations, everybody, everybody uses the bunk. You have to. Yes. If you're running yes. five nights a week from Scotland down into Birmingham and you're yep. clocking up 14, 15-hour shifts potentially... You need to make use of the uh, the bunk. It's extremely yes. difficult to sit all night in the passenger seat, and of course, yeah. I mean, I guess you would you would have to maybe make um, make an assessment of that if you're out in sort of high winds or extreme weather conditions to say maybe I'm not going to do that to do that tonight. Um, 
But like you said, regards bridges, yeah, the M4, the the Severn crossings were shut. There were trucks blown over on that. Right. Um, there was a fair amount of preparation. The, the, the weather forecasters were banging on about that storm, Eunice, for quite some time, saying, you know, this is going to be one of the worst in years. So there yeah. was a lot of pre-warning for it as well, and I think it would have helped things enormously if there was a if there was something which had been said, you know, you're not moving between these times, uh, mm-hmm. so be prepared. Get your yeah. trucks parked up and get them sitting there. Because I know that quite a, pe- a lot of hauliers did voluntarily um, park their trucks up. And yeah. uh, some of them some of them even went and rescued drivers as well, went and picked them up and took them home and said, we'll get you back in a couple of days because this is going to be so bad. Yeah. Uh, and there were some people parked up for nine hours because they had pallets of crisps on and things, and it's just not going to be enough weight to stabilise the, the thing on the road. But I mean, yeah. there's also things, there's flying debris and trees and all that sort of stuff you've got to take into account as well that might hit the truck. Yeah, yeah, and they've got a lot of weight. I mean, my, my girlfriend was out doing driver training because she's also been doing a bit of that, and uh, they had a branch come down and hit the truck. I mean, luckily it hit the trailer rather than the actual tractor unit. So, and you look at the size of some branches there, you know, if that comes through the screen, it's going to do a lot of damage to somebody, let alone a vehicle. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it, and it's just as dangerous having all this debris flying about as a truck potentially blowing over. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, definitely. The more I think about this, I'm like, right, we need to go and, go and set up a petition about that because there's more and more gale force wind weather events these days as well. Um mm-hmm. But it just got like the government don't have a clue as well, and people, people don't <laughs> yes. really. I mean, there's a kind of divide. I mean, the country countries because it's the same like everywhere are, are becoming increasingly divided after the pandemic and things because you've got so many people that have sat at home throughout of all of this. Um, mm-hmm. They've been able to work from home. They've been warm and cozy and everything, and but and they don't really have much of an appreciation or understanding about all the people who never stayed at home, who are facilitating them being able to sit at home and get everything delivered mm-hmm. to their house all the time. Um, yes, there's a lot of negativity toward the truck driver freedom convoy in Canada from so uh-huh. many, so many people, and they're all people who just they're all just they just it's like the Zoom set they, they do all their work working on Zoom now and laptops and things and saying, get those truckers out of there and everything. They've got no right to be doing what they're doing and all this, which goes, it's an entire other subject that as well about these vaccine mandates and that monstrous dictator, Justin Trudeau as well. But yeah, people need to have so much more of an understanding about the logistics and supply chain, which is allowing them to get, like you say, their packet of highlighter pens to get everything mm-hmm. that they want delivered to their house next day. It takes a colossal effort on the part of the transport industry and supply chain for this to happen. There's so much hard mm-hmm. work done by so many people. You've got the truck drivers, obviously, but you have also got the people working in the warehouses as well and all your stock pickers and everything like that who are all going to work and getting all this. And, and it's just become, people have just become so used to it and so entitled to it. Um, yes. That I, it's, a I, bit like, it's a bit like car drivers thinking it's a right to drive where it's actually a privilege. And, um, you know, right, thinking you know, that, well, I, I'm just, I can do this. Yeah. And you're in a way, you're a menace, you know. Yeah. We would like to take this opportunity to pay tribute to one of your dear friends, Craig, who sadly passed away recently. Craig Dealey, who was only 46, passed away at the end of January after a battle with uh, the dreaded cancer, sadly. Um, mm. he is, I'm sure you would have known his dad, Stuart um, Dealey's uh, maroon coloured Foden that he had. Funnily enough, mm. I, I did an article on that a few years ago. Craig was... Uh, He's a very likable, well-known chap around the Afton area, doing a lot of trunking for TNT. He also he'd done a bit of European, doing the steel on some of the music shows. I think Madonna and a few others with his dad, you know, back in the day. And he was just a, a general, all-round nice, likable guy. I mean, you know, last time we saw him was at the retro show last year, and he always he would always listen to the podcast and then he'd normally send me a message just saying how much he'd enjoyed it. And so it's a, a real sad loss to, to, to learn of Craig's passing a few weeks ago. Oh dear. That's a terrible shame. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, we will be paying tribute to uh, Craig in the next issue of truck and driver, the April one. Uh, you've sent me some pictures and things over there for that mm-hmm. as well. 
but speak but speaking of um return to the truck obviously as of today the greek ferry that's on fire um that's been sailing from greece to italy to brindisi Yes, um, this has been in the now, news over the last day or so. Yeah, tell everybody, yes, tell everybody about this. This is a big, a major um, situation. This we've got a, a ferry which is on fire, um, and I think there's believed there's been a couple of guys missing and everything. It's a really bad thing. This there has now. I have seen a link, although I've not um, followed it up, saying that they have found the drivers safe and well that were missing. Um, now it's the Euroferry Olympia, uh, which. We actually sailed on to Greece last year when we were delivering the dogs, and it is, or was, probably still is, a complete bucket. It really is. is it? oh. It's it's a it's a horrible, dirty, smelly old ferry, and the Greeks and the Italians, with, with COVID restrictions, they've got no regard for it whatsoever. They'll still put you four to a cabin, regardless of isolation and all you know all this. Everyone's doing these two meters and blah blah blah. Yet yeah. they're still uh, they're still cramming four drivers into a cabin. So I can completely understand why drivers are choosing to stay in their truck. Now they shouldn't do, and obviously the Herald Free Enterprise is a very good example of why you should. And I, and I believe the law was changed after the Herald to stop this sort of thing happening again. Now it happens on the Irish ferry all the time. I know people that do it. No matter how tired I've been, I've always, always gone up on deck mm-hmm. just be just because you never know. Now, I completely understand why people do it, but hopefully in the aftermath of this, some arse will be kicked in regards of giving drivers a cabin, for God's sake. It's a big yeah. boat. You've you've got enough cabins. Just put give them out. And also yes. trying to clamp down on people staying in their trucks for their own safety. Yeah, so so basically these get there isn't a shortage of cabins on the, these this they ferry. No, they just basically want, they're they just don't doing want to clean it. them. They're doing it because is. they don't want to clean them to save money yeah. and everything. See, yes. that's that's yeah. ludicrous. There, there's a lot of COVID rules where it's like, uh, well, it's when it suits them, then they'll yeah. go and use it. Um, mm-hmm. And that's absolutely ridiculous. I didn't know that that was going on when you're cramming people into multiple cabins and a, yeah. like that. You know, it doesn't take a long time to go and clean a cabin after somebody has been in it. You know, no. strip the bedding, oh. strip the bedding off it, and go and yeah. run round yeah. it with a bloody mop with some disinfectant for God's sake. Yeah, because it's either that or they sell the cabin. Mm. So you can then you buy yourself an upgrade, and they're making money. It's as simple yeah. as that. Now, the thing is, the cabins aren't going to be infected with COVID anyway. COVID is an airborne virus. You get it from yeah. airborne particles when people yeah. like it comes out sharing a, it comes sharing out a cabin you. with someone you don't know. Exactly. When, when the cabin's been vacated, there's not COVID on the floor or COVID on the bed sheets or anything like no. that. No, no. So, so, so this is interesting. This is a bucket of a knackered old ferry that they've been using yes. and keeping going. It's now gone yes. on fire. Do we know how yep. it went on fire? The, oh, I saw that the, the only thing I've seen was it, it, I think it had an electrical fault and the engines had stopped, but that's about all I know. Now, there were free trucks on board from Templar European. I don't know if you've yeah, seen or heard yeah. of them. Uh, yeah, uh, which uh, I think there's one British guy and a couple of Polish lads. Um, they've all, from what I've seen, they're all off on Corfu safely. Obviously, the free trucks are well, mm. lost, complete, lost completely. Um the problem is, is, well, at the moment, the, the biggest problem is the vast majority of the trucks on there will be uh, Iranians, Bulgarians. Mm. Uh, with, with the, so they're looked down upon by everybody else in the first place. So, they're, you know, the, the Greeks or Italians aren't going to take to a Bulgarian complaining about not getting a single cabin because they're just considered well, scum at the end of the day, you know, because no, there's a slowly driver. You know, from a third world country, essentially, is what they're 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 looking at. So why are they why on earth they're going to listen to him? And it, I believe it's two Bulgarians that were actually missing and staying in their trucks. Shocking that! I've just got a picture of it up just now um, on the uh, Al Jazeera website. That seems to be the most recent story on it at the moment. Um, oh yeah, that's terrifying! That huge clouds of black smoke coming off this mm. ferry, and it's not in one bit of it. It seems to be the fires at like three different points. You know, it's yeah. like. Oh wow! I mean, it doesn't look like it's that. F- there's land in the background for it, but I mean, I don't know. What the hell do you do to put a fire out like that? How do you, how do you approach that? How do you even approach that in terms of getting like um, something to extinguish the flames? A team descended from a helicopter onto the ship on Friday through clouds of thick smoke to eventually locate the two men inside the Euroferry Olympia, who spent hours on a parking deck desperately waiting for help. 
278 passengers and crew were rescued um, earlier from the ferry that engulfed the Italy-bound ferry with 291 people on board near the Greek island of Corfu. Cause of the blaze was unclear. Because it's an old knacker, that's why. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it's, it's Grimaldi lines and they really do put the grim into Grimaldi. That boat does. It's It was awful. <laughs> wow. This is, I, here's a quote from an Albanian truck driver, Zef Luffy. I thought death had come for me. There was so much smoke, I thought we wouldn't make it. It took us about an hour and a half before we got into the lifeboats and about three more hours before we were picked up. It goes on to say, the rescued passengers, many wrapped in foil blankets, were all transported to Corfu, where ten people were hospitalised, none were in serious condition. Wow, that's so alarming. Because you don't really give it, you don't give it uh, things like that sort of, any sort of thought. So much, so much, do you? You know, it's... uh, it's just something that doesn't really happen in in Europe these days. It's mm. it's it's something that happens off in the Far East where a ferry catches fire and sinks, and it's just not something that's thought about over here, is it? And the amount of crossings daily from you know Dover, Calais, mm. Portsmouth, Harwich, every boat, you know, there's never really an issue, is there? No, no, you don't really give it any. No, you don't really give it any thought at all, really. That's uh, no. well, I guess. Well, I guess that will be the end of that ferry then. I mean, I guess would they go in? I mean, uh, would, is it going to be written off, or would it go in for like a, an extensive <laughs> refit? I wonder how many trucks have been. I wonder how many trucks have been lost then. Uh, well, well over a hundred, I would say. I would. I would say, I mean, they and they jam them on there. It's not. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it, they, they, it's it's normally. I mean, I know it was the summertime, but it doesn't really make that much of a difference. But there was quite a waiting list and quite a lot got left on the port when we sailed because there was just not enough room there on the waiting list. If we can squeeze you on, we will. And we, we watched at least half half a dozen, like there's free car transports turn around and went back to the parking and wait for the next day sort of thing. Mm. So, um, yeah, it's an awful lot. And I, a friend of mine did say Templars, I think they do pharmaceuticals. So if that's the case... That's going to be a hell of an insurance claim as well because they're not cheap to replace. Mm, absolutely. I, well, the only thing I could say is I'm glad that everybody has uh, got out of it in, in yes. one piece. The last trucking driver, we've got an update for you where you've been doing a bit of dry, HGV driving instruction. So you've yes. been teach, teaching people how to drive. Um, yes. How's that been going for you? Um, now, I was going to ask because have the government, has it actually been updated now whereby you can go straight and do your C plus E Arctic test without doing the rigids? And yeah. is the reversing and the coupling thing now being <clears throat> done separately by an independent company? Yes and yes. So you can now, at the age of 18, go f- straight from a car test to C plus E, uh, just like that. Uh, and yes, the couple uncouple and reversing procedures can be done an authorised accredited company such as DMP who I'm doing some work for you can't just set up a reverse area it has to be signed off by the DVSA and it's very stringent that you know there can't be public access it's got to be properly marked out etc 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 and then you have to have certain people qualified at the company who can actually adjudicate it so I I can't for argument's sake that they have to be full-time employed by the company they can't have um, I know they can't have any points in their license was another one and a few other stipulations. So it's it's not a case of, well, you know, ABC driving can, I can do a couple and couple reverse with them and it's fine. They have to have the area. They have to have certified people, et cetera, et cetera. But I think it helps because it takes, you can still book it at the test centre and get it done by one of their examiners. Uh-huh. But if you can do it off site, I think the pressure is off a bit. Yeah. And, and students relax more because it's mm. not it, it, the, the exam that's taken for the forward test. It seems to, yeah, they seem a lot more seem a lot at, more at ease with it as such. Yeah. Um, that's so. that's good. I've I've got on it. The reversing test is stupid anyway. It's not a reverse that you're going to use in real life. <clears> no, you, you it's also not, get there's a there's a. Um, I've found of it that training companies can often they'll put like a bit of tape on the trailer or something, and all they're doing is showing you the process of what you need to do to get that yeah. thing into position for that. They're not explaining to you yeah. the physics, yeah. the sort of mechanics of how an Arctic reverses, whereby uh-huh. how important it is to position the thing correctly going forward. 
yeah. a little bit of twist in the unit and what's actually going on when you're steering it and things. I, I think it would be a, a good idea. Um, or it, they should probably change the reverse so it's basically coming in as if you're going on a loading dock. That would make more sense to, well, it's, sense to me. They're supposed I mean, to this one that they do. I mean, currently. that's the, the the theory is that barrier that you're reversing to mm. is a loading dock. I get, like you say, that it is. It's not a manoeuvre you're ever going to do. However, I think whatever they set up, mm. there would be criticism all mm. round, wouldn't there? And there's no, you know, there's a. So you've got to do a bit of blind side, then a bit of good side. Mm. Every single school has markers on their vehicles. Mm. They always have, and they always will. There's nothing the DVSA can do about it. Mm. Um, I think which, it's, 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 fair, it's fair enough, but I found that. I, th- I think not... there should be more pressed up. There's, there's so much. Um, basically, it's all about just getting through that one thing, and then it's yes. sort of kicked to the side. So you got a lot of people, and I include myself in this, whereby I'd gone through it and I I couldn't reverse. It was yeah. It was, used to stress me out enormously. The first shifts that I was doing in an Arctic <clears throat> to begin with, I would be panicking if I, I thought that I maybe had to go and do some. Uh, do some reversing somewhere and of course it was difficult to get any sort of practice in it at any any sort of given given point um and it kind of once it, it clicked it clicked but i think if i was given more of a explanation as to how the how 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 it all sort of works uh, then i would have got on got mm-hmm. on better with it because i was watching <coughs> over the last couple of days i've been watching guys reversing and um sort of your normal play distribution centers and things like that and guys are sort of shunting back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, trying to get the thing like the thing lined up. And I'm like, obviously they're, they're, they've gone through their test like quite quite recently. But I'm like, I, th- I think that they've been sort of just been set up to just go and do that one thing, yeah. as opposed to I mean, really really having it explained to them. And I think there should maybe be an opportunity for people to go and do like a bit more sort of once you've got the license there should be an opportunity to go and sign up and do just some reverse training for a morning somewhere just to do a couple yeah. of hours on it just to go just to get your head round it a bit head round it a bit a bit better um, I do especially I the do, fast tracking now yeah I mean I do try and give them a bit of real world mm. reverse and such like if, if we've got time where our reverse areas, it's a big airfield with with plenty of space. And I'll quite often, if we've got an extra ten minutes or so, I'll take them down the other end and I'll get them just to like reverse round on their good side, just like in a long curve or something mm. like that, just so they just so they can figure it out and just see that you don't need to put that much lock on. Mm. Um, and also to get out, you have to go up and turn around, mm. just, it, to, so you can get out of the gate basically. So I'll always rather than rather than them just putting a U-turn, which because I don't like U-turns no, oh, when, they're, when they're avoidable, I'll get them to nose up and then I'll get them to back up and I'll just talk them through it and they can just see how it's reacting. And also, when we go to Ipswich to stop for it, when we stop for a break, now the Orwell Cross and Truck Stop has sadly closed permanently. Uh, mm. gen- generally, most of the training companies congregate round the Shell Garage by the Orwell Bridge on the A14. Uh, it's not particularly big. There's, there's enough park in there for maybe 20 trucks or so but there's no there's no markings whatsoever so some days you'll go in there's heaps of space other days there's not a great deal and it's always quite a good one you'll bring a student in and i'll always try and leave them in the seat and and i'll talk them through how they need to maneuver around and then possibly back into a bay um just to give them a bit more experience but then other times you'll get a student who's grown up on a farm have had that so they know how how a vehicle reverses and they can just they'll just bring it in and bang it straight back into the into a space, you know, piece mm. of cake. And then you get other people who, you know, you just really need to gently talk them in and just and just take your time, take it slow. I mean, I think most of the other drivers around the area, or even passing ones, obviously you've noticed the the huge driver training and the L plates, and and have not had anyone negative mm. as yet uh, talking about a student. So, you know, it's um, but it's it's an interesting way of making a living. It's you know, you meet different people all the time. It's repetitive because you're always going to Ipswich because that's where the test centre is, and they just need to know there's there's free free tight turns in Ipswich that they need to master essentially. Mm-hmm. Everything else, it's kind of they should be able to judge it. These three particular ones, you you need to take a particular line and know how to do it to the as to how the examiner wishes you to see it. In the mm-hmm. real world, in the real world, you'd do it differently, but for that one hour of their life, they need to just do it to 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 appease an examiner so um but generally speaking 
since the changes, it's kind of unofficial policy that if you're car to C&E, you'll go out on a rigid first, for mm. a, at least for a driving assessment, um, mm. and then just see how much train, whether you'll need to do like a four-hour session in a rigid or eight hours first, just to get you used to the size of a vehicle, air brakes, all things like that, you know, rather than just chucking you straight in, a, in an Arctic. If you've got people, again, from a, like a haulish background, if they've been chucking stuff around a transport yard since they were 12, they don't mm. need to sit. They don't need to sit in a rigid. We can chuck them in an Arctic and away we go and, uh, you know, a couple of days and, and they're ready for their test, essentially. So um, oh, we so still we still have quite a few people doing Category C only mm-hmm. um, and the occasional C1, the seven half tonner. Um, we, out with, with Newmarket not far away, there's a lot horses. of horse, right. horses. <laughs> so we quite often have people coming in for, for Category C just for a horse box. They've got no desire of driving an Arctic. So Category C is good. And we also do a lot of work with UK Power Networks who will clearly be very busy this weekend putting up mm. power lines and whatnot. So with some of their, they've got seven and a half tonners. So some people just do seven and a half ton tests. And also like the bigger Unimogs with like the larger trailers will need a C plus E. Mm. So there's a steady stream of business. Uh, and it's, it's busy and, it, and it's getting busier, it seems to be. So That's that's good to hear. I, I'd seen a, a press release this week. I think it come from... The Freight Transport Association, now called Logistics UK, said that the driver shortage was easing. They were getting more drivers through <laughs> their test and things. And I was like, there wasn't that figure of whoever it was that were coming out. 100,000 driver shortage. There never was. You know, there, yeah. was, there was a bit of a shortage. But it looks like there's more kind of people. <laughs> it looks like there's more people sort of filtering through. So you're going to have like more newbies um, on, on the road and, and, and things which is good Every, everybody was new once and everybody has to learn you know mm-hmm. and you know yeah. it's, it's important you know and it's important if you're new as well to think you know if you're ever stuck don't you know ask you know go and yeah. find something I, I think a lot of t- they say that camaraderie is sort of gone from drivers and things you, you might find you get a lot of drivers who maybe wouldn't feel confident in approaching somebody to say do you need some help with that but they would gladly help if they were asked, you know, to sort of sort of help as well. You know, you don't want to go up to somebody. Excuse me, do you need some help with that? No, fuck off. So, yeah. <laughs> but you know, if they want to go and ask somebody, then you would gladly sort of go. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll try and I'll try and um, help you out with that as sort of best I can because it is, it's um, it's it's a scary world, and when mm-hmm. you're getting into these big sites and distribution places with mm-hmm. those lorries and shunters flying everywhere and all that you don't know where to go it's straight i get asked anywhere i go that's new and everything like that i still get a little bit nervous when i'm going into places because i'm always thinking i'm like where do i need to park where do i need to go to find something mm-hmm. yeah and everything there's that even when you're experienced and that there's always that element element to it um yeah it's uh <clears> it's, <throat> in, it's it's interesting that I always tell people on, on the way back to their test once they've passed, obviously I say, you know, now is when you really start to learn mm-hmm. how to drive. This is now, now it's this is the start of it. Mm-hmm. And never, like I say, never, ever be afraid to ask people. Um, I'm yet to know of anybody, especially myself, who's asked somebody for help mm-hmm. and basically been told to go away. I, I've never, ever known that. And I think mm-hmm. everybody remembers when they when they started and when they first started their first day i think that comes back into it and i've also mm. noticed as well that if somebody doesn't ask generally speaking in my experience anyway say at an rdc mm. if you're in a bit of a muddle mm. generally the first the first people who will jump out and help mm. are eastern europeans they, they, the camaraderie seems to be a lot stronger with them and you'll i'll often find if you're struggling anywhere that they'll be the first out of the cab to come and come and help guide you or assist you that, that's just mm. that's just what i've i've found now whether it's just because there's seems to have been more of them driving the trucks or not i don't know but that's just mm. that's just a personal personal observation but it, it's despite drivers having the general um uh, what's the word the uh it's not the attitude but uh reputation of being sort of grumpy and unhelpful uh mm. I, it seems to be generally everybody is um mm. You know, and if they realise that they're it's a new person, they're, they're normally more than willing to help. Mm. Yeah, I, got, I think pretty much every that last run that I did there, where I started in Bathgate, did four drops, then Eves, and then back up. Pretty much everybody I spoke to uh, at all the places that I went were from uh, Eastern Europe. 
that are all involved in sort of it was um, vegetables I was dropping off to various various places and that loads of people um yeah so so much of the logistics and transport sector uh, people. Um, are sort of from like Poland, Lithuania, things like that. Now I've got on, got on absolutely great, great with um, everybody I encountered on, on that run. I never had any, any. Um, uh, everybody was really, everybody was really helpful. Uh, the mm-hmm. whole, the whole sort of way, way through. Um, yeah, yeah, excellent. But I've, I also speak the training uh, this week. I did a two line, a two line, two day online course uh, on mental health first aid. So I'm now. Not only am I a qualified mental health first aid uh, provider, but I've also done a bolt on because, as I'm sure a lot of people know, I'm a scuba diver instructor as well. Part of that, I'm a first aid instructor, but I'm now also a mental health first aid instructor. So people become mental health first aiders. It's That's a mental health first aider. This is a fairly new concept as far as I'm aware. I had never heard of the term until Mm -hmm. the pandemic arrived. And obviously yes. the pandemic has brought with it a vast array of mental health issues across the planet. Uh, I, would yes. est- I would estimate personally that the mental effects of coronavirus are as equal, if not worse in many cases, than what the virus has physically done to so many people. Um, yes. It, uh, in terms well, of like, the way that the world changed and people were became so isolated and lost jobs and couldn't go places mm-hmm. it's it's the ramifications of it will be felt for years to come it's affected every everybody in various different ways mentally yeah. and of course it's not mental health as something which is still uh, the way that we approach it the way that we discuss it and the way that we deal with it is still in its infancy <clears throat> we've so so yes such a long way to come with that in general especially yes. with, with you're know, talking about transport and trucks the vast yeah. majority of the people that work in this industry are men who are in their sort of thirties, forties, fifties, sixties, and you're kind of predisposed not to talk about things and just kind of mm-hmm. get on with stuff and everything. So, how how did it come yes. about that you 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 went for that? Was it something that you spotted online <clears throat> and decided you know I fancy it? that's something that I could do? Yeah, um, uh, another instructor friend of mine did the course online. I think it was last year or the year before. and said it was really interesting. And then they were running the course again. And I thought, well, do you know what? I'll sign up and and do it just because, I mean, like I've, I've got family who have got certain uh, mental health issues. And I thought, well, it might help, you know, understand it a bit more. Now, it does not <laughs> make me a therapist or anything like that. You know, it's simply a case of I now know more what to look out for mm. and how and how to deal with someone. Like if someone's having a bit of an episode in the street or at work, I, I know better now how to how to discuss it with them or get them to discuss it mm. uh, and and it, you, you can't treat i can't treat it it needs no. a, a lot of a lot of treatment but almost all problems uh, with mental health are treatable if they're and especially the earlier they're detected the better and, and think and the interesting things as well that you learn like um going into like for argument say uh, ptsd mm. uh, if you've been through some horrific trauma in, in the first six weeks, if you experience flashbacks, that's perfectly normal because it's part of your brain resetting itself as such. So um, if, if they're going on for over six weeks, you know, if you're going into several months and people still having it, then they really need to seek medical help. But it's, it's something that everybody really needs to speak more and honestly about with anybody that needs it, basically. Um, I'll give you a, a, a shocking statistic. Uh, and this is as of 2017, so I dare say happy, since the pandemic. Happy times, it's, ah, the world happy is a, dark, you know, world's a remember then, place, remember, uh, the, remember uh, 2017? <laughs> uh, in the UK, we lost 72 million working days, and it cost 34.9 billion in that year due to mental health. Now, when you compare that to, say, physical health, people falls, injuries at work and so on, I dare say that the mental health side of things is is far far greater. And equally, another good thing the the, um, the course director pointed out: larger companies, and I think most companies have a duty of care to people's health at work. Mm. Nowhere in that does it say physical health. Mm. So large companies have a, a duty of care to their workers' mental health, and it's it's imperative that they realise that. And and again. 
going back to a truck driver for argument's sake you get to a gay house and you're 10 minutes late you get grief from the security guards that's going to stress you out then you get you're trying to get on the bay you've got the worst bay to get onto so that's going to stress you out and then you go inside and you get told you've got to go and stand out there with everybody else and you're going to be annoyed with that and it's just going to grind you down isn't it and and you can see how easy depression can take hold and then if people don't realize this it can soon drag people down and then all of a sudden before you know that that worker's off sick because they can't face going in to, to go to that horrible place um because they just can't face it anymore it, it builds it, things build up over time the thing with yes. drivers as well is that you may not see them most of the time they're out on the road mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, isolation. Not in contact, not in contact yeah. with a, with a sort of lot of people. <clears throat> it's, um, you know, it's always worth like you know, uh, just giving somebody a shout and saying, "How are you doing? Are you are you okay?" Uh, mm-hmm. Just yes. to check check in on people because yeah. you know, and the thing as well, it's so much that is like hardwired and into men is just like get your head down and get on with it and don't don't complain. Yeah. Pull yourself together. Yourself to, you know, to and, and it's I, just you know, which, the worst. On. You know, yeah. it's now recognised to be like the worst thing you could say to somebody. Yeah. It's, so, it's. it's I, I would recommend any anybody listening to this, if you ever get the opportunity to learn about it, of mm. any description or even just doing a bit of research, I thoroughly recommend it. It's it's a real eye opener and well worth well worth now, doing. Now what is it? What is it called? This it's a course. So what? So the course I did was with Mental Health First Aid England, I believe. Right. Um, hang on a second. Let me just. Uh, I've got my. I'll just pop the video back on. But if I uh, start that, so this is the mental. If you look at the screen, for those at home listening. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this but is I, the, this I can is, see the folder there. Adult yeah, MHFA <laughs> manual. Yes. Well, I guess it's something to look at. If you're like listening to this and you're running a, ho- if you're running a family sort of run haulage fleet or something like that, and you've got a, f- a selection of drivers uh, and things, you know, if you're looking, if you're considering sort of wanting to, you know, improve the way that you assess and look after their their well being and things, because employ employees that are feeling well and you know they feel good, uh, then they're going to be more productive employees as well. Yes, they're going to yeah, be absolutely a, a, a sort of happier. It's not. An employee mm-hmm. that's walking around like down, seriously down in the dumps or furious, like raging about things all the time, you're not gonna, they're not gonna do the job as well as they, they could be, could be doing. So there's an, an aspect to, to, to that as well. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it was, um, it, it's really good and and just like like you say, just just give if you haven't spoken to someone for a while, just give them a shout mm-hmm. and just have a chat. Uh, Doesn't hurt, does it? Especially over the last couple of years, so many people have been run down with things, myself included. I've I've found it incredibly difficult. 2020 was all right for me. 2021, I really felt... um, uh, things were particularly difficult for a good few mu- good few months there, uh, and it's some I was aware of it. I've, I've quite uh, done, mm-hmm. I've done quite a lot of research and and th- things into mental health. I've been to see people uh, about issues which are going on going on in my brain related to anxiety and things as well. Because people mm-hmm. you can you can recognise things as well, like to go to, to understand why you're like okay, so that's why I'm like worrying incessantly about stuff as well. And once you realise that, you can take steps to you know address things as well Uh, and often just simply talking talking about it and getting it out there can make an enormous difference to absolutely things as well Uh, and generally most most anxieties and things like that you're worrying about something that's actually you don't need to worry about whatsoever and there are you know i'm I'm not going to start going into it all because it's uh it's a two-day course but there are you know steps and measures that people anybody can do just to help prevent this sort of thing and just to just for your own mental well-being it will it would really help so um it's yeah, definitely worth looking into mm-hmm. and that's, yeah. that's really good a, a positive uh positive thing that going for going forward um mm-hmm. let's say mm-hmm. anybody sort of uh, anybody listening that's sort of struggling with things and everything and it can be it wouldn't necessarily be immediately obvious to you you know if you just wonder why you're just so uh lacking in sort of motivation if things don't if you feel kind of empty and things uh, a lot of the a lot of the time, you know, it can just working out what's going on with you. Just uh, it can make just such a, such an immediate uh, difference to things, uh, yeah. and take putting a few sort of things in place to try and improve things. Funnily enough, one of the best things I've found for my mental health and well being is being able to get back out and drive trucks again. Because yeah. this this is a desk, an office orientated job in a lot of ways, and I'm not a person who's 
wired up to be able to do sort of a lot of office work and sit at computers at home and everything like that. I like to be out and about and on the road and visiting visiting people doing different things and everything like that. Yeah. And being able to go out and drive trucks is what basically keeps me able to go and do that, to get being able to go and do this. Um, I always I, I realised that uh, for absolute certain last November when I find, I got back out, I didn't drive an in during the summer because I was so busy with work, I was snowed under. Then I got back out in the tippers for a week and I was previous to that, I was unable to get up in the morning. Uh, I was so lacking in motivation and everything. I was really down in the dumps. So I went out and drove a tipper for Archie Johnston for on the eight wheelers for a week, and I had to get up at five o'clock in the morning every day. And I found out to my surprise, I was able to do it, no problem. Yeah. I was able to go and mm-hmm. establish myself a routine again, uh, yeah. and being out and about and um, uh, just keeping busy and having a bit of structure and everything made such a such an improvement and a, and, a, and a difference to. A difference to how how I was feeling overall. It felt like the clouds sort of lifted a little bit. Yeah. Obviously, things are a lot more complicated for for people. But <clears throat> people have got so many different situations and issues going on now as a result of the, the pandemic. Concerns with herself, with her family, and everything like that. Mm-hmm. So it's important to know that you know you know to kind of look out for each other and also know that there is help sort of out there and it's not sort of stigmatised anymore. It's not any sort of weakness. Nobody will be looking down on you if you say, you know, I can't, do, you know, I can't do this. You know, I, it's uh, really getting too much for me. I need to step back from this. You know, that's not ever uh, a, a sign of um, a sign of weakness in any sort of way. And we need to get get that sort of uh, really need to get that message across to say, you know, yeah, you can talk yeah. about sort of problems and, th- and things that you're dealing with. So going, so going back to ferries. Uh-huh. Yep. The very, f- the very first week of this year, I went across to Galway to deliver a dog, mm-hmm. and uh, the, the sea had a good four meter swells, I think it was. So that was certainly a rough, yikes, a, a good rough crossing for me to start the year. Uh, and then I was on the waiting list to sail direct from Ireland to France. Mm-hmm. At the, at the, there was. I think there's 26 vehicles in front of me on the waiting list, so it wasn't looking particularly promising. No. And then, for, and then for some reason, they changed the sailing time. They bought it forward by about four hours. I've no idea why. Crazy. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I was on the boat because presumably everybody in Ireland who was planning on loading at say five in the evening, mm-hmm. run down to Rosslare to get the boat, then couldn't do it. So mm. I then had a nice, I think it's a 19-hour crossing from Rosslare to Sherborg, which is a, a new one on me. Mm. It was brilliant. And then straight out the other side, and I went down to down to Frankfurt to do a collection. Mm. Uh, and I, I stopped in the small village of Y in France. But why? Just, just, just because it was called Y. There was no other re- rhyme or reason. I, I found it, uh, we found it on Atlas Obscura mm. the other year, and I thought, well, I need to stop in at there. It's uh, in the Somme region, so... Mm. Um, there's not much to it, but it's literally a village called Y. It's called Y or E yeah. in French because the two there's two roads that join and it looks like a Y. Yeah. Uh, and that's that. So um, so yeah, I've, other than the driver training, I've done a little bit, little bit in the van. I did that. I did another yeah, the, Frankfurt. The dog dollar, yeah, because um, if anybody's un- unfamiliar with this, Matt uh, was doing some work for a pet delivery service mm-hmm. uh, using a van running all over Europe. Delivering cats, dogs, um, and then else you doing You did have, have a couple of random I'd, things I'd as well. A, a yeah, I, did, I did. I did a bearded dragon. Um, I so basically now I do a job share with my mate. Um, just because I've got so much going on, I need to take a bit of a step back. But I didn't want to completely cut it out. So a good friend of mine now does sort of three weeks on as such, and then I I cover his week off. That's generally how it works. Mm-hmm. Um, just before Christmas, he sailed the night boat from Harwich to Hooker Holland up to Copenhagen to collect a rabbit to bring back to the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, he went between Christmas and New Year. He went down to Frankfurt. I think he delivered a lorikeet and then he bought back, I think, a parrot. I think mm-hmm. it was. It's just uh, it's crazy. It's literally anything. Anything goes as such. Um, so I'm I'm back out on the van next week. Just still waiting to hear exactly where I'm going. Sadly, the job that we talked about last year, I was really hoping would come off, never did, which was Morocco, which would have been... Oh, that would have been nice, eh? Fantastic, yeah. It's um, sadly never quite happened, which is a shame. So 
I mean, you never know for the future. It, you know, it could could well happen again. Yeah. So, um, so in terms we'll just of, wait and see. All right. So in terms of uh, lorry driving, you've been now you've been doing the driving instructor a little bit in the van and things. But you'd mentioned there you were back out in a tipper as well. So you've been yes. back out. Um, what what have you been up to? You've been doing uh, sort of a bit of longer distance nights out, or is this still sort of sugar beets so, sort of stuff you're on? So I, I did a week for MDF Transport in Great Yarmouth, which actually involved nights out. And they're the first nights out oh. I've done in a truck, a truck in almost two years. The so flatbeds, flatbeds galore. Um, did you get pictures? Uh, I did, yes, of course. Well, you can do as a, you did. Can do as a team truck and drive I can, update. I, I can do, yeah, absolutely. So I, I really enjoyed it. The night, the nights out, I was somewhat apprehensive. Just because I know what the facilities are like in the UK, they're not the best, are they? But funnily enough, I actually the first two nights I actually parked up outside the training company I work for because I could let myself in, make myself a cup of tea, uh, brush my teeth. There, there's no shower there, unfortunately, but MDFs have one in their own yard, mm. so I could grab I could grab a shower there. I could park outside DMPs. It's nice and quiet, nice and safe. So that worked out really, really, really well. Actually, um, it, it was a great week at work. Um, I, I wouldn't want to do it all the time for certain because it's being away all week, having a weekend off and then being away all week, every week like that. It's, mm. it's very full on, isn't it? And I, I, I've done it for a long time and I'm, I don't do it now through choice. Um, it's nice to do it occasionally. And it's, but yeah. Full-time tramping is a way of it's, life. It's an enormous, it, is. it, um, it really is. Yeah. Uh, what's it? Uh, uh, yeah, it's a it's a huge um, thing to what's a bloody word undertake, it, really, isn't it? It's yeah, I mean it's a it's a huge commit. Yeah, long yes. distance tramping work is a, is an enormous commitment. It's a way of mm-hmm. life, you know. When you're away yeah. all week, every week, and it does get yes. in, it does get into people's blood, you know. It does become yes. something that they get very very used to. And you know, I think yes. perhaps a lot of marriages perhaps survive purely on the basis that they only people only see each other at the weekends. Quite possibly, yes, and, and they're so used to it, aren't they? So second, fed fed up with you being out in the road all the time. You know, I want you to come home and be home at night. Three weeks later, right, I'm sick of you being home all the time. Get back in yeah, that lorry. Yeah, go away. Yeah, go but, do some nights out. And it, people need to understand that you know the the, the what truck drivers sacrifice to be able mm-hmm. to go and do for people to have all the things that they want. You've got guys that are away for a whole week sort of all the time and facilities aren't aren't the sort of greatest and everything. You know, when I was um, that other day there, I parked up at Evesham and they're like, right, um, they tra- drop your trailer and come back for it at three in the morning. And I was like, oh, that's 12 hours time for now. So I now had 12 yeah. hours time and I was only, I was nearly at the end of my, my driving time on the, the, the four and a half hours. So I was, I was like, ah. So I just had to go and park in the industrial estate. And of course, I've got no facilities during that time. Um, yes, I'm just parked up, parked up there with everything that I need uh, w- w- within the truck, and I got a shower at T-Bay on the way up the road the following yeah. day. But it can, it's, um, yeah, it can get, um, it can, it can get frustrating if you don't manage to get in to somewhere mm. and get washed up or something like that after if if, if you're like a, a, a difficult day or two sort of. Mm. Sort of thing, yeah. but I that so it's, you've you quite in, in, enjoyed the variety of getting back I out. I did, yeah. Some of that, it, it, yeah, it was nice, and so um, I did that, and then I did my course, mm. and then I, I like, like uh, this week just gone. I took took some for test on Wednesday, and then I did two days for Terry Siemens. Who, oh, Terry, um, fantastic! Yes, yes. So um, he's about ten minutes from my house's yard, if that. So it's very local, um, and he, he deals with. So on bulk haulage, to to make it simple, as I'm sure you know, you've got your clean side and you've got your dirty side. Um, clean is like your food, your food, you know, your task registered stuff, mm. food grade, and the dirty side, which is what a lot more of Tanningtons are, who I work for, where they, they do like the chicken muck and all stone and stuff like that. Obviously, no, no food grade stuff. So Terry's all food grade. So I was actually going back to places that I've not been in nearly 20 years when I last did it full time. So it's great. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, it's a lot more automated as such. Um, one of the, my, I had to go to, it's now Haygate to Ickingham near Bury St. Edmunds. When I last went in there, it was Marston still. Mm-hmm. And since it's been Haygate for a long time, apparently. And in between that, it was Tate and Lyle. So I've missed out quite a lot. Their, their tips seem to have got a damn sight quicker than what I remember. Um, but I also, like I said, I took the Sawyer up to four farmers at Burston and they're still, it's a good half an hour on the pit 
tipping through the grain socks. So and it's just a case of getting back into the, it's, there's more paperwork involved in the clean side because it's all traceability, isn't it? So you've got to make a record of what your last three loads were, how you cleaned the trailer, you know, your, your registration, all this, that and the other. Um, whereas like when you're doing sugar beet and stuff like that, it's just bang, 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 bish, bash, bosh, go home sort of thing. So but it, it was definitely enjoyable. It's um, it's it's a lot more like uh, it's it's kind of like the RDC world of tippers really doing uh-huh. doing clean side. So uh, there's no big delays. Um, I had a little daft CF. I was I was kind of hoping for a Foden in a way, uh, just for a, mm-hmm. a bit of a laugh. But, because um, Terry is Terry is uh, well known for having uh, or running a lot of Fodens for a long time, and of yes. course he did. We did have his truck on the cover of the magazine last year, where yes, just just for a laugh, he went and got a daft XF and Fodenized it. Um, yes. which confused a few people. I really like that. I would suppose I got skanked by that bloody coronavirus app, but it said I did close contact with somebody. I couldn't go to that video shoot yeah. that day, which really and that really knocked me. That did. Yeah, because he um he's also got the very last phone ever built um in the shed, which I I did an article on for classic truck a couple of years ago when i spoke to terry about it then he sort of jokingly said he still wears the black armband for foden um so he so he's got that he's got uh i think it's next demonstrator in like the daft light light metallic blue he's got one of them in the Mm -hmm. shed with next to no miles on it it has Uh, yes yes um he's got a a, there is a there's at least one daft cab foden which was hooked up to a, an aggregate trailer, so I think that still works. Yeah, I think he's still got. Well, there's maybe one or two still still yeah. working in amongst that. I was thinking I'd mentioned in the podcast with Chris the other week. I was got the possibility to do a couple of bumper sized issues during the year, and I was thinking about doing one based around um, all the new developments from Scania and things. Just for a, from a there's a lot of stuff going on with them, and commercially it would do well for the magazine. But I was also thinking about doing maybe something looking uh, focusing on veteran drivers, and I was also contemplating doing an issue based around uh, the remaining British trucks because they're obviously getting very rare now because, Mm -hmm. I mean, they're at least 16 years old, but I was contemplating. There are still pockets of them running in various places around the country, and I'm thinking, well, maybe Mm -hmm. now would be a good time to look at, get a snapshot in time of uh, Mm -hmm. the British trucks that are still um, operating. There's a company in Norwich, and I believe... And a weird green He's got three, if not more, Ford cargos still working daily. Good grief. Yes. Yep. <laughs> Which I, I, I must go and track down at some point and uh, go and have a chat with him. I think uh, I've got friends who know of him, so um, I shall I shall endeavour to try and chase that, especially if, if this comes comes about. That, that would certainly be of interest, I would dare say. Yeah, that would be great. Speaking of... Um... Articles of the new magazine's got your Terberg article in it for H.C. Wilson. Excellent. Yep. Yeah. What a, an iconic vehicle. And again, uh, I really hope people enjoy the article. And if anyone does know where it is, it, it it got sold to a Dutchman who was using it. I think for he did tractor pulling, so he was going to use it on the tractor pulling circuit, I believe. So whether it still exists or not, I don't wow. know. So yeah, That's, and uh, I did pop in. I mean, for background of the truck, when people say Terberg, you're immediately going to think of a shunting tug, but this isn't that at all. Yes. It, it, it's a, it's a, Terberg built a small volume of specialist lorries, and this uses the Volvo F7 Club of Four cab mm-hmm. uh, with an extended high roof on it. Uh, it's got a Volvo F10 engine in it, I believe. Yes, yep, yep. And it was ultra low to uh, transport two combines, generally. That was the, the whole reasoning behind it. So, and... Um, yeah, uh, the the Wilson brothers both remember driving it at the time, uh, and it was because it was kind of experimental. It wasn't it wasn't the most reliable purely because it it wasn't you know it wasn't a proven vehicle. And, it, and back in the eighties, realistically, what was a reliable vehicle? Everybody had breakdowns with with one thing or another, as they still do today. But today it's generally electrical. With the Turberg, it was it was stuff you could actually fix at the side of the road. So yes, um, su- such an interesting truck. So yes. unusual. I'd never ever heard of something like that, and so cleverly designed as well. Yeah, it was um, so well thought out by Hugh uh, when when he initially spec'd it. It was it was really something else. Um, so yeah, I really hope people enjoy it, and and I hope people remember seeing it about as well. So if anyone remembers it, it'd be good to hear about it. Um, when I did see Simon this week, 
he did pull out a, a large bunch of old photos as well of various other Wilson trucks, um, which should perhaps have to do a, another article of some description somehow, maybe on some of the older stuff, old Leylands and things like that that they used to run. They've yeah, had a hell of a variety of stuff they've they've driven over, or, or owned over the years. So, um, yeah, great, a great, very professional company, Wilson's are. Yeah, really good. Yeah, that's so, fantastic. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's something that yeah, I like that I'd never seen before. We've actually got quite a few specialist-type vehicles in, in the new issue, which I'm uh, really pleased about. It kind of happened sort of by accident. We've got the London Philharmonic Orchestra's uh, specialist transporter. We've got skip trucks, crane trucks. We've got your Terberg as well. So nice bit of variety. The uh, March issues are on sale now. Please do pick it up. Yes, absolutely. Uh, cool. Right. Well, I think that's just rocked over uh, the hour mark. Right. Uh, that's fairly flown in. Cool. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, thanks very much for uh, your time coming back on the podcast. Some oh. really interesting updates there. Uh, I'll look forward to catching up with you again soon yes. as I am trying to be more organised with the <laughs> podcast. Uh, yeah. Fantastic. Uh, yeah. I hope you um, uh, all goes well with your, uh, your next dog delivery, driving, instructing, tipping adventures and all that. Yes. Please do send us a team truck and driver update with what you're up to with NDF and Terry Seaman and all that. That would be fantastic. We certainly will. Yep, absolutely. Cool. All right. Thank you very much, Matt. I shall speak to you again soon. Yep. Thank you very much, Dougie. Thank you all. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Truck and Driver podcast. Please subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. To keep up to date with the latest news, 100% for drivers, visit truckanddriver.co.uk where you can also subscribe to the print edition of Truck and Driver magazine, which publishes on the last Friday of every month. The Truck and Driver podcast is produced by Sound Rebel. To find out more, please visit soundrebel.co.uk.